we need each other more than ever. There's so much data, so much information there. You cannot be an expert on everything anymore. We need to work and collaborate with one another. So that's part of the theme through uh, conflict resolution. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our chance to talk as professionals in the field of project management. We want to address your concerns, your needs, and to give you not only some tips on bettering your game, but to encourage you in it. We feature guests who have developed their skills and want to help you develop yours. I'm your host, Nick Walker. And before we get to our guest, I'd just like to personally thank our listeners for the comments we've received about our podcasts. This is how we know if we're succeeding, how we know if we're really helping you. So please continue to leave your comments on Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whichever podcast listening app you use. You can also leave us a message on our website, velocityteach.com, or on social media. We want to hear from you. And right now, I want to hear from Bill Yates, because our guest today is somebody that you have known for a while, and he's going to be speaking to something that is, well, I guess inevitable in any project manager's line of work. Conflict is going to happen. <laughs> when you have two or more people working on something, you're going to naturally have conflict. And I'm delighted to have Neil Witten speak into that. Uh, when he and I were talking several months ago about what topic should we address next for project managers, we landed on conflict management. And I got excited about that right off the top because this is just a part of life especially mm -hmm. in projects. Mm -hmm. When we have conflict at home, we have it in school, we have it in every phase of life, but absolutely in the workplace. So addressing that with Neil is going to be a great conversation. And of course, we've had Neil on before, but let me reintroduce him to our listeners. President of the Neil Witten Group, Neil Witten PMP is a course author and contributor to Velociteach Insights e-learning courses and has also been a contributing editor of PMI's PM Network magazine for over 15 years. Neil previously worked for 23 years at IBM in both project leader and management positions. Neil is a popular speaker, trainer, consultant, mentor, and best-selling author in the areas of leadership and soft skills, project management, and employee development. Neil has just completed a new course with our Insight e-learning department. The course is titled Seven Steps to Successful Conflict Management. Neil, welcome once again to Manage This. I am honored to be here. Thank you so much. All right, let's get right into it. What all are we talking about when we talk about conflict in the workplace? Do we have a, maybe a definition? Well, I do have a definition, but as you would know, conflict is a natural part of the workplace environment. You cannot get away from it. As a matter of fact, if you work around people, consistently, you're going to run into conflict. And by the end of any given week, you're probably going to have had that conflict several times a week. Hmm. As far as defining conflict, uh, definition that I use is it's a disagreement or disharmony between individuals arising from actual or perceived differences or incompatibilities. And I want to emphasize the perceived part because a lot of conflict is because we have a perception. We have our own lens that we're looking through and we don't fully understand the other person's position and what they're going through, and consequently, the conflict evolves. You know, I'm sure for some people, they maybe either like to maybe deny that there's conflict going on or sort of sweep it under the rug or <laughs> kind of, let's look on the bright side. But there's probably some indicators out there of what conflict is and what should we be looking for? 
I'd say some obvious indicators of conflict could be open hostility and lack of cooperation and people missing commitments, that sort of thing. But there's subtle conflict that's everywhere, and it can it can manifest itself as one or more team members demonstrating a change in communication, such as body language or mm-hmm. tone and volume of voice or being indifferent or low-key, but deliberate sniping and, and gossiping, those kinds of things mean that there's something going on in the back office and that we need to get to the root of. That's good, Neil. The key word of subtle, that really resonates with me. There are times when you walk into a situation and you see two people at it. I mean, they're that close to just, you know, going physically at each other. So you're like, oh, I think I have conflict. (laughs) (laughs) But more often, what I've discovered with project teams is what you describe. It is subtle. It's a different tone of voice. It's a lot of times I'll walk into a room And there's not an energy level there that I normally sense. There's no laughter. There's no chatting. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no side conversations going on. And it may be everybody's just totally focused on work. But sometime after a while, I think it becomes a a kind of a warning signal of, hey, wait a minute. There's some underlying conflict here. Uh, People are at odds. They're quiet. They're kind of out of their normal behavior. So then we need to get into it and see what is the source? What's happened? What did I miss? You know, that kind of thing. So I think the subtle signs are the ones that, as I grew as a project manager, those I had to become more aware of. So I think it'll be interesting to to see what we get into with some of these examples. Is there a common source? I mean, does it all stem from the same place? Well, Nick, that's why you're here in the room with us. Ah. (laughs) This is an intervention. To to instigate the conflict. Yeah, you're the conflict guy. (laughs) I hear people often say that breakdown in communication is a major root cause, but it's not always that. I'll give you some examples of causes of conflict. In my course, I have over a dozen of them, but I'll just throw a couple out from memory here. Limited resources. Hmm. For example, we all need access to resources, whether it's time or funds or IT services, maybe you just need a meeting room or help from colleagues. And when there's too little resource to satisfy that need, conflict can arise. Absolutely. Personality clashes. We all think a bit differently. Sometimes the slightest offense can fester into a more serious conflict. And another one's unfair treatment. Mm -hmm. We've got our own perceptions of what is fair and not fair. And oftentimes without the other party having a clue that we feel like we've been wrong. I'll tell you one that I really like a cause, and that is psychological needs. Most people have some desire for power, control, and status recognition, and these desires can also lead to conflict. And uh, let me throw one more out that comes to mind. Poor implementation of recognition and awards. Uh Most of us feel that we're not appreciated enough. And seeing your coworkers being recognized can sometimes leave you with a feeling of being overlooked and can become a breeding ground for resentment and conflict. And so, as you can see from the few examples I've given, there's a lot of causes for conflict, and there's many more I don't have. But one thing is certain, conflict is exceptionally pervasive in any work environment. Even teams that are high-performing teams, there's still going to be some conflict. And in fact, in high-performing teams, you actually want conflict sometimes, because what it does is it refines the thinking and the thinking process and helps the team to actually move forward more quickly and so forth. And when I think of conflict, I actually don't think of negative. Mm-hmm. I think of something positive. I actually, I, I'm not going to say I look forward to a conflict in a negative way and, you know, people yelling or something like that. Yeah. I would never look forward to that. I do a lot of travel as a consultant as well. And when I'm working with people and there's two people that are not getting along very well, I actually enjoy working with those two people mm, yeah. because my goal is to turn that around into something very positive so that when they leave the room together, 
they're just built a bond stronger than it was before they walked into that room. Mm. That's good. It's an opportunity for clarity. It's a great opportunity. Yeah. So I look forward to conflict, and it's not something we should be running from. So when we see these sources of conflict, when we see these things happening, where do we go? What do we do? There's been some research, I understand, on how we actually resolve some of these conflicts. Well, there's something called the Thomas Kilman model that is very popular. There's a, a few models, but this one particularly is very popular. And what these two guys have done, uh, Thomas being one and Kilman being the other one, they identified five strategies that you can choose from when you're about to engage in a conflict. In other words, how do you go about resolving that conflict? And the strategies are competing, collaborating, compromising, avoiding, and accommodating. So let me give you an example. In the competing strategy, it enlists a high degree of assertive behavior with little interest on cooperating with the other party. And it's mostly about winning at almost any cost and with little or no regard to considering opposing points of view. So one person's going to win, and there's probably going to be a loser. There's going to be a loser, and you're the winner at the expense of somebody else. Okay. Another strategy is collaborating. This is the most popular one. You want to use this whenever you can. It enlists a high degree of assertive behavior along with a high degree of cooperation with the other party. And the goal is to achieve a win-win outcome. And what I didn't say, and I probably there's that each of these strategies employ different levels of assertiveness and cooperative behavior. That's why I'm talking yeah. about those two concepts, assertiveness and cooperative behavior. So you have collaborating. And then when you're running into a conflict with someone, uh, an approach you can take to help resolve it is compromising. That's mm-hmm. a third strategy. It enlists a moderate level of both assertive and cooperative behaviors. And both parties are expected to experience a partial win while giving up on some items. And you may think that compromising is always a good thing to do, but it's actually not because neither party comes out ahead. And Mm -hmm. in the business world, it's usually typically more important to have the best business outcome. Not that both parties walk away feeling they won something. It's what's best for the business. Mm -hmm. And then there's the avoiding strategy that employs non-assertive and uncooperative behavior. And a party avoids conflict by postponing or disengaging altogether. And I would consider that lose-lose because when you just avoid, you walk away, you don't know what's going to happen. You're not, yeah. you're not engaging. It's going to hurt your reputation. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. You're giving up all of your uh, opportunity and authority to make something happen. You know, Neil, personally, that's, that's one that I have probably the biggest problem with is avoiding. And I mean, this is way personal. This is my wife and I have been married 32 years, okay? <laughs> and early in our relationship, before we were married, when we were dating, our approach to conflict is very different. And man, we were dating, that became very apparent very quickly. She's an avoider, and I'm more of a, let's deal with this before the sun sets. <laughs> and so something would pop up, and she's like, I need time to process that. And I'm not ready to talk about that yet. I'm like, Okay, how about about five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we all live with people that are wired different ways. And I think, you know, for some, that approach of avoiding is kind of their go-to. We obviously had to accommodate each other. But I think in the workplace, there are those who are very much wired for avoiding. I think Nick's already mentioned it. So that's one of those strategies, but we'll see. Collaboration is better. Avoiding is very common, but it's almost never the right answer. Yeah. Something that I learned at a very young age is I don't ever run from conflict. Hmm. I decided at a very young age that I would never, ever, ever run from conflict. And I don't, and I haven't, and I won't, and I never do. 
And what it's done for me is this, it's helped me to, like when I'm working with uh, people who are higher level than me uh, or in a more power position, I see them as I see myself. They mm. put their pants on one leg at a time and they need me as much as I need them. Yep. And it's a symbiotic relationship and it allows me not to be intimidated. Mm. And so I never, ever run from conflict. That doesn't mean that I like it because I don't always like conflict, obviously. Uh, I like the opportunity that can comes out of conflict. But I recognize that by running from conflict, it's going to hurt my career. Mm. It's going to hurt my ability to make things happen, my reputation, and so forth. Yeah. And I just don't do it. I just flat don't do it. I don't look for a way to run ever. That's good. The last of the five strategies is called accommodating. Mm. The accommodating strategy elicits a high degree of cooperation with little demonstration of assertiveness. Yeah. Here, you may sacrifice your interest in favor of the relationship. Yeah. Now, I'm the mm. kind of guy who kind of wants to know, okay, what's the right answer? Okay, you, you, you've, you've got all these uh, conflict strategies, and I'm looking at them and going, okay, that, you know, don't want to do that, don't want to do that. Okay, is that, that might be promising. Is there a right answer here? What you want to do is when you get into the, uh, the Thomas Kilman model, these five strategies, each strategy has a time when it should be engaged. Ah. And when you understand what would cause that, that's when you want to go to that area. For example, the avoiding strategy, it may be the right thing at this moment is to avoid a conflict because you're not prepared yeah, or because you know you're going to lose. Mm. There's overwhelming odds. There's valid mm -hmm. reasons for you not to spend the time and energy and expense on it right now, and therefore you avoid it. And that might be the right thing at that particular moment. Yeah. But in general, I keep coming back to collaboration. Yeah, That's by far is the most workable and a, the most contributive strategy. Yeah. So yeah. any of these might be sort of a temporary solution, but definitely not a final solution. Mm. Actually, that's an interesting way to look at it. The example I just used with avoiding, that would be intended to be temporary. But unfortunately, a lot of people who use the avoiding strategy don't use it temporarily. Yeah. It's, right. it's, a, it's a way of life. <laughs> right. And then they wake up and they wonder why they didn't get the promotion that yeah. their peer just got mm. when their peer is not avoiding things and mm. are facing things directly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, I want to shift gears a bit because we've talked about some general approaches to managing conflict. Here's the beauty. In the room, we have Neil Witten, and Neil has just spent the last several months researching this topic. And one of the things I was excited about was I knew he was going to take a close look at probably two dozen different models for conflict management. And one of the things that's unique about Neil is he's able to pick the best from the best. So Neil, you've, you've identified seven steps to deal with conflict. You've kind of looked across the board and said, okay, here are different models and things I like about each one. You've accumulated these seven steps. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> now, you address them in the course, but we can certainly highlight them here. Talk us through how you got there, and let's take a look at those steps. Well, you know, I was hopeful. I'm an old guy. Been around a lot. I've had a lot of conflict in my life, and, and I tend to think I'm pretty doggone good at dealing with conflict, right? Mm. You would hope I have learned something about it. So when I went to put this course together, I thought, you know what, Neil, let's see what else is out there that you haven't been paying attention to. Mm. And I ran across, as you said, over a couple dozen models. There's actually more than that, but there's a couple dozen that kind of stand out, and they have anywhere between three and 15 steps to them. And I couldn't find any model, although many of them are very respectful, I couldn't find any model that I feel comfortable in strongly recommending. So what I did 
was I actually I built a little chart and I wrote down what's the best that each of these models has to offer. And I created a model based on the best from everybody else. Perfect. And that's where I came up with the seven-step conflict management model. Walk us through. Tell us, what are those seven steps? Well, um, the first one is to choose the conflict management strategy that best serves you. Remember, I talked about those five strategies. Yep. The second thing you want to do is establish what I call ground rules. These are guidelines that when you walk into a room with somebody, you want to have your head on straight. You want to respect differences. Uh, don't rush to judgment. Don't attack problems. You know, uh, I mean, attack problems. Don't attack people. Yep. You want to make good relationships a priority. So that's mm. the second of these seven steps. Establish ground rules so you have the right mindset. I don't want you to go into this thing as it's going to be a battle with an adversary. I want, yeah. I want you to develop a partnership. The third step is to define the conflict. And I recommend that you actually write it down. It could be a very simple sentence, huh. hopefully. But if it's something more, that's fine. And then when you and the other party is sitting and looking at that, you're going to find that in many cases it's going to get massaged. Okay, Because yeah. the way you see the conflict, the way they see it may be different. Yeah. Because you want to make sure the conflict that you're going to resolve is the right conflict. Right, right. And that you have it fully defined. I like it too, because then you're basically, you have to write a problem statement. So I can't walk into a room with Nick and say, Dude, we got to talk. I've got conflict I need to resolve with you. I can't even tell you, but you have made me so mad. You know, it needs to be all right. Here's the specific issue. You I know, we were some with hidden the... hostility. <laughs> You're such an easy target. You're right here. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it, it needs to be. A, we were with the I client. I am at arm's length. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. We were at the client together, and this happened. And this is something that I don't want to have to be in that situation again. You know, your words that you used or something you showed them. So that I like being specific and having yeah. a problem statement that we can look at together and, and clarify. It, and of course, that conflict statement should not have any emotion in it. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a tough one. The fourth of the seven steps is to explore solutions. I want us to brainstorm and be very creative. And I'm the kind of guy, I like wild ideas because huh. they often manifest itself into the best business outcomes. So that's the fourth step. Get a bunch of potential solutions. But the fifth step is to select the best solution. And a simple way, for example, to do that is to have each party pick out their favorite hmm. and list the pros and cons of each of those and what's in it for them and what's in it for the other party. I want each party to say what's in it for the other party as well. So now you, at step five, you've now selected the best solution. Step six is you agree to the solutions implementation plan. And what's important about that is it's one thing to say we agree on what we're going to do, but if you don't have a plan for how you're going to do it, what time you're going to do it, what date, who's going to be responsible for what, then it could fall apart very easily. Hmm. And then the very last step is to implement the solution and verify that it actually did get resolved. Now, one of the things, tying back to the model that we discussed before and now looking at these steps, one thing that's very obvious to me is after doing a little bit of homework, this thing becomes collaboration right? You define the conflict. Then you sit down. Now Nick and I are in a room elbow to elbow looking at this thing, and I'm explaining why I sense this conflict and what I think some options are, getting feedback from him. So it sounds like it's heavy collaboration for the majority of these steps. It is. Yeah. We've got to work things out together. And that's why I keep coming back to, or I was in the beginning about uh, collaboration is the most popular yeah. part of it. Uh, it forces us to work with each other, right. to understand each other, to listen to each other, and ultimately to bond with each other. We mm -hmm. need each other to achieve things. In the world we live today, 
It's so much different than it was 100 years ago. It's not as common anymore for one person to achieve something big. We need each other more than ever. There's so much data, so much information there. You cannot be an expert on everything anymore. We need to work and collaborate with one another. So that's part of the theme through uh, conflict resolution. Got it. Neil, I, I got to ask you, is this something that the project manager will instigate? Is he in charge of trying to manage this conflict? Or is he going to say, okay, you guys, you know, go into a room and, and just work this out? Well, I've got my views on that. This is debatable. It isn't to me. My style is people working for me or working with me, I want them to be as self-reliant as possible. Mm -hmm. I want them to be as independent as possible. I don't like the concept of micromanaging. Nobody wants to be micromanaged. People are exceptionally talented if you just give them the opportunity to be so. So as a project manager, if I have two people that have a conflict going on, I want them to fix it themselves. Amen. Mm -hmm. If they need my help because of my power position, because of the resource that I have access to, any support I can give them, of course I want to be there. Yeah. If they need me to be a mediator, mm -hmm. I will be there. But I don't believe my job is to give them the solution. I believe my job is to plant seeds. Maybe I might lean them in a certain direction, but I want them to have the ownership. I don't want that to be lost in the equation. Mm. I want them to feel good about themselves and know the value that they bring to the table. By the way, there are times when you do want to pull rank as a leader, and you do want to insist and you do dictate what people need to do, but those are few and far between. Mm. Along those lines, and I agree with you 100% on that, Neil, I really do. Along those lines, one of the mindset shifts that I think you offer with this is, okay, again, conflict is not always bad. It shouldn't be viewed as something bad. It is something that is naturally going to happen, if not weekly, daily, if not daily, hourly <laughs> on project teams. So, you know, practically speaking, the project manager wouldn't even have time if they were just always trying to jump in and help put out fires or resolve conflict. You know, okay, what else would they be doing? So it's a, it's a growth opportunity for team members. And again, getting back to some of the benefits of, of conflict, it's a chance for us to understand each other better. So by, you know, as a, as a leader of a team, if you have two team members who you see are in conflict and you encourage them, okay, here's some steps to walk through as you tackle this conflict, go try it on your own. I'm here if you need help. Yeah, you know, I really like that attitude. You know, Bill, I, I'm thinking about my marriage of uh, 34 years. You okay, know, all right, you trumped me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, so we've had two more years than you to try to figure this out, right? It's still still not successful. But I, but I think about, you know, the uh, emotions that get yes. involved in uh, in conflicts. And that's that's a big thing that gets in the way. It obviously must get in the way, too, when you're dealing with a project team. How do you overcome some of those egos and emotions that just really rear their ugly heads? Well, there's another thing we can, a number of things we can do, and a lot of us in this profession tend to be pretty good at these things. But one is you want to remain calm throughout dealing with a conflict. Because when you're calm, what it does is it helps you stay in control of your own emotion, and you can direct your attention to better reading and interpreting both the verbal and nonverbal communications of the other party. Hmm. And I'm a big fan of the empathy thing, and that is work at imagining you walking in their shoes, and this will help you more quickly connect to their perspective. Another one comes to mind, be gracious. Respond politely and apologize if appropriate. I'm a big fan of apologizing. 
when people apologize, I think they're respected more by others when they admit they made a mistake. And certainly the uh, offending party sees that reach out. You can put things behind you more quickly. Another one I'll throw out is you want to allow your counterpart to talk without interruption. This will help open communication between the parties. So mm. there's things you can do to kind of settle things down a little bit, the emotional aspect of it. And by the way, part of that is also the tone of voice and how calm you need to be. I've been in certain situations where the conflict has been very heated and I'm in the room and I've got a, uh, a position where maybe a client has asked me, Neil, I want you to attend all these meetings. And if you see them going off track or you can help, I want you to jump in. And so the first thing I do is I start talking very deliberate, slower and uh, calmly and um, start uh, getting us to get a mindset on we've got to remove the emotion from the room and start looking at the issues as objectively as we can. And by focusing on that, we start forgetting all this negative conflict Hmm. and we can start focusing on positivity and moving forward. Hmm. Neil, one of the things I feel like I've got to bring up that you're reminding us of a key fact, which is face-to-face communications is the most effective. You know, you've talked about visual uh, cues that we see, you know, somebody, they have their arms crossed, or they kind of turned away from me as I'm having this conversation with them about conflict. Uh, you talk about tone of voice, you, know, you talk about even, you know, empathy and listening. So active listening, you know, things that we know we need to continue to, to improve on and get better at. So my takeaway from that is when I'm dealing in conflict, when I'm going to meet with Nick and talk to him about our area of conflict, best would be face-to-face, right? Oh, it would, to me, it's always face-to-face. Yeah. Some people would want to avoid it, but it would be a mistake. Yeah. Okay. So I shouldn't Skype him. I shouldn't IM him or send him an email. <laughs> no matter how clear my email is, he should get it, but it's better to be face-to-face and, and well, it take turns advantage out, of that. Uh, a study's been conducted, and only 7% of what a person communicates is actually the words that they use. Right. And the remaining 93% is your tone and your body language and your facial expressions. Yeah. And to me, the stakes are, are highest in areas of conflict, right? It's like if I'm sending out a happy message to a happy team, that's one thing. Maybe an email's okay. But if it's a specific point of conflict that I have with a team member, then man, face-to-face communication is the right way to go. Yeah, if you send an email to try to resolve a conflict, it's almost always a bad idea to do that. And <laughs> right? Unless you and the other party know each other so well and there's no emotion tied into the conflict, then you can probably get away with that. But I'm a huge fan of face-to-face. Mm. And also, things can get personal. You know, um, people can take things personally, uh, maybe take things what out of context. What do you mean context. by that? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for proving my point. <laughs> so how do you really just instill the, uh, the confidence that everybody's on the same side? On, we're, we're all on the same mm. team here. Well, one thing I would say is you want to focus on solutions, not blame. I might be getting off target, but I don't think so. I give leadership classes, and I'm a big fan of leaders don't blame other people. They're too busy solving problems. Mm. And in the political climate we have today, you probably didn't want politics in this, but in the political (laughs) climate, and I don't care what party you're in, it's common to see people running for office being very quick to blame other people Mm -hmm. about problems. What I would rather hear from them are what their solutions are. I already know what the problems are. I want to know the solution. So at any rate, bring this to conflict. Focus on solutions, not blame. And when a conflict does arise, deal with it quickly to limit its damage. 
leaving it alone will almost always allow it to fester and get out of control. Hmm. And interestingly, conflict is rarely one person being solely at fault. And maybe neither party's at fault, by the way. It could very well be. And you want to refrain, as we talked about, using email to address conflict. (laughs) Uh, And I'll just throw one other thing out. Uh, You didn't ask me about it, but conflict management training. I think that's very important. I think every organization, there should be mandatory conflict management training with all employees. It doesn't have to be, you know, to make you an expert mediator, but at least to understand the general concepts and that it's our job to address conflict as part of our roles and responsibilities. Mm, okay, so I'm going to I'm going to toss you a bone here and I this is sincere as a team here at Velocity. Each one of us are going to go through the course that you're developing with us and the content is golden and we're going to go through it so that we have this seven-step model in our heads so that when we have conflict, you know, peer to peer, peer to manager, whatever, whatever the level is, we've got a construct, a model a set of principles that we can walk through and help come to a happy resolution. So I agree with you. You know, we try to, Lewis has a way of saying we like to eat our own dog food. (laughs) (laughs) And so those things that we produce that we believe in, we want to be behaving that way too. So we're going to do that with your course. Well, this is plugging the course, and I guess you wouldn't mind me doing that. But frankly, when an organization is intent on teaching conflict management to the masses, this course has all the basic material you Mm -hmm. want in a conflict management course. Now, this course is not live. It's online. But nevertheless, all that basic material is there. Mm -hmm. Right. And it sets up healthy conversations with team members. And many times I look back and go, oh, man, before I got in this big fight, I wish I had known this approach, right? (laughs) So this is really helpful. Neil, one of the common questions that we get related to conflict management goes like this. What if I have conflict with my boss or my manager? So what if the other party has a lot more power or influence than I do, and I have little say in the outcome? Should I just get over it, or what do I do with this conflict? So are we talking about the person is your boss itself? Yes, I'm a team member. (laughs) Maybe it's my project manager, or maybe it's my direct line manager that I've got a conflict with. Okay. Uh, Well, we want to get that corrected. Yes. (laughs) As soon as we can. But... um, If you have a conflict with your boss, then you want to sit down privately with your boss to try and work it out. If for some reason your boss is not willing to work it out or is pulling rank on you and you think unfairly or whatever, then you have to decide how important is this resolution to you? Is it something that you want to give a lot of your energy to? And in which case, you're going to take this over your boss's head. Escalate. Escalate, and you want to be careful when you do that, because even though every company supports you bucking your boss and going over the boss's head, and they say it won't hurt you, they're all lying, because (laughs) because bosses are human, and some bosses take it personally, and then they're going to get even with you. Will most bosses? I don't think so, but but some of them will do that. So at any rate, you got to decide if you want to take it higher up. Mm -hmm. If it's a legal or ethical issue or something that may need a human resource for, then you may take it to them as well. Yeah. I'm a big fan of always keeping it in your own family first, trying to resolve it in your office or your boss's office without going outside that. Yeah. But I will tell you this, if it's a conflict with your boss that you feel is harming your career, for example, yep. it's harming your ability to produce whatever you said you would commit to do, I can't take that sitting down. 
And my job is to make my boss look good. And certainly at this moment, I'm not doing a very, very good job doing that, apparently. Mm. So I'm going to try very hard to first work it out with my boss. And I would argue that in most cases, that will be successful. Mm, I don't care how difficult you think your boss is or how difficult you are by coming together, you will likely come to terms and be able to work it out. But if you can't, my style is to take it to higher levels of management and uh, be assertive enough to address it as directly as you can. Follow-up question. If I decide, okay, I need to escalate this, do I let my manager know or I just kind of go behind and... There's That's different great. views about that, but my style is to let my manager know. Me too. I, I don't like doing things behind closed doors. Right. If there's two of us that we have a conflict and neither is a manager, say, my style is still to try and work it out with that other party. And if I can't, I will tell that other party I'm going to take it to his or her manager. How would you like to come with me? Yep. So, uh, so here again, I would tell my boss I'm going to take it to his boss or wherever I'm going And I would give my boss an opportunity to be there while I'm doing it. I like doing things openly. Mm -hmm. And I think even though it might be painful at the moment for my boss to be there, over time, my boss will probably respect the fact that I did it openly and maturely. I want to throw something out, and you guys feel free to comment on this as you wish, that when I think about conflict in my own life and kind of some, uh, some guidelines that I go by, whether it's personal or professional, there are four I will not statements that I try to deal with after I think we've resolved conflict. And it is, you know, okay, two parties have had conflict. I've had conflict with someone. We've worked through it. And now we think we're resolved. We're good. I don't want to dwell on it. So one of my statements is I will not dwell on this conflict. I will not revisit the conflict or use it against the other party. I will not talk to others about our conflict. So I'm not going to gossip about what Nick and I talked about in confidence, perhaps. I will not let this conflict hinder our working relationship. So if Nick and I have something, we work through it, then that's between us. We're good to go. We're solid. I'm not going to gossip about him or throw him under the bus later. So are those okay with you guys? Does that make sense? Those I will not? I especially like the one of keeping it in confidence. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. yeah, that may be hard for a lot of people to do, but I tell you what, I really respect people who can do that. It's not just keep a secret. It's basically being a good role model for others. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the way that you want others to treat you as well. Right. And just to move on and to not allow it to continue to fester because mm-hmm. that's really what you're doing. And it definitely shows a person in a negative light because they're being professionally immature. Yeah, true. Right, right. Neil, there are probably people who are listening who, who want to know more about this course, uh, want to know more about you, or, or maybe they... Uh, you know, have a conflict with you that they want to address. I, I don't know. But <laughs> how, how can people get in touch with you? Well, my email address is neil at neilwittengroup.com. Neil is N-E-A-L and Witten is W-H-I-T-T-E-N, neil at neilwittengroup.com. But uh, uh, probably an easier way is just to go to Velociteach and they could point you to me. So All right. uh, I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you being here with us again, Neil. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, Bill? Thank you for your expertise as well. And I guess we'll be meeting in a conference room uh, later to work something out. (laughs) Neil's going to be our mediator. (laughs) I'd love to. I'd love to. Let's do it. Thanks again. Okay, a reminder now to our listeners. As you may know by now, there is an extra benefit you receive from these podcasts. We're all looking to earn PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications. And by listening to this podcast, you're just one step from putting some free ones in your pocket. 
To claim your PDUs, go to VelociTeach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click right through the steps. That's it for this episode of Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on November 5th for our next edition. So until next time, keep calm and manage this.